We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Spike Week. Best ball show brought to you by rotogrinders.com. As always, I am your host, Eric Beinfor, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Beinfor. You can find me on Rotogrinders as well, posting more content than you probably even care to read about fantasy football in June and July. Been doing a lot of drafts. Hopefully you guys have been able to get in some of these puppy drafts on underdog fantasy promo code grinders for a free Best Ball Mania 2 ticket. If you have not signed up for underdog yet, I highly recommend it. The, I mean, the platform is just incredible. So um, they're releasing, they, they just released the puppy two days ago and I, it's closing in on 20% filled. I think it's going to fill in like two weeks. We'll probably get some more, some more, some more contests. But the, the thirst for for drafting right now is 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 pretty crazy. So, that's all the positive fun stuff. Here's I got to bring it back down. I've been too positive, uh, talking about too much stuff that matters. I got to get back to the brand of talking about the stuff that doesn't matter. The triggers that triggers some people, and. Uh, what I wanted to bring up today is if you if you've been following a lot, uh, you know, if you're ingrained at all in the fantasy football space, specifically the you know, this booming best ball environment that we're in right now, people we're getting smarter, right? There's ton, there's so much more content out there right now. There's so many smart people, right? My Twitter feed is filled with all these smart people doing awesome analysis of past past data, right? Previous seasons. What's the What's what's the thing that we you know we we want to get analysis and try to find insights from what has happened historically to help you know drive our decisions and help us make better smarter decisions when we're drafting when we're constructing teams 
when we're entering contests, whatever. The issue that I think we're starting to see is, you know, especially for football, especially for the NFL, you know, we have this huge long off season. It's the most popular fantasy sport that exists. There's ton, now, now there's tons of data. Like I said, just, just scroll through fantasy Twitter for a little while. And I guarantee you, you'll see something about, you know, here's some analysis of what happened last season, or here's, you know, um, the big thing is like about win rate data, right? That's kind of a, a, a big, a big thing that you're seeing a lot. People are going back to, um, you know, even going back multiple seasons of, of best ball data, but especially last year, like on underdog and analyzing the data to try to find useful nuggets to help us, like I said, be smarter in our drafts and maybe find some trends that have worked historically to use this draft season to maybe give yourself a leg up over the competition. The issue, the issue is that a lot of this actually is. So I should present the bull case, I guess, first, right? A lot of a lot of this is typically directionally accurate. A lot of the data that we're getting, it's driving us. You know, it has. Um, I've I've talked a lot about um, like this, just kind of like hyper fragile approach that was coined by Mike Leone and Justin Herzig on Establish the Run last year. You know, they were putting this out last year. Here's some data as to why this this type of construction would work, and here's the logic as to why this construction would work. Tons more people are doing more analysis, like the, the, the types of players we should be drafting, how we should be building our teams. The issue is that so I shouldn't. I just said I was going to talk about the bull case, and I'm already getting into the negatives. It's it's good data, and so let's get that out of the way first. It's good data, and it's it's it can be helpful in giving us an, an idea of kind of how we should be thinking about constructing teams generally, where maybe there are gaps in the market where maybe, you know, we can pounce, you know, we've already seen people start to get smarter just about like running backs, right? I mean, I remember when I was first drafting just even like two years ago on, you know, the now RIP draft.com, I was drafting like tons of running backs. Like even when I would take like multiple early, I'm taking six or seven running, I'm loading up on running backs. I just, did, I wasn't smart enough at the time to kind of understand the roster construction. Over the last even couple of years, we've gotten smarter about all of that. And a lot of it has to do with this, all this good data that's coming out. So it's pushing us in the right direction, right? It's pushing us in the right direction about how to construct teams, the types of players to select. And I think a lot of what I've kind of discovered from a strategy perspective has actually been driven off of, off of this data. But what I think has kind of happened is We've, we, we start to go too far. And this happens a lot of the times with, you know, like I said, with the NFL is we want to have something and, and just humans, humans in general. We talk about this in, in DFS all the time. I talk about it with Jordan Cooper, Blender HD on his theory of daily fantasy sports podcast that like humans just want to have like a reason, right? I need a data. Tell me. I, it's not it's not just my opinion to give me a data point to back why I should do something what, you know give me reasons as to why I should draft this player or why I should draft four running backs or why you know why should I stack I need the data to back it up and in general that you know methodology 
is smart. The issue is in the NFL specifically, we are always working with a small sample size. And so that directionally right data, you know, the, I guess the, the data that is often directionally right may not necessarily be directionally right for every single year. It is so dependent upon each that like specific to like say the win rate data, it's so specific to that player pool, how everyone is drafting that year. And just like the variance of one NFL season, right? Two years ago, Christian McCaffrey stayed healthy and had like one of the most absurd win rates ever because he was just, just crushing all year long. Last year, Christian McCaffrey got hurt. I, I don't know how to predict that, right? Saquon Barkley got hurt. Zeke kind of got dinged up himself, but Dak and his offensive line got hurt, right? There were all these issues. And then Dalvin Cook, who we could probably argue was undervalued anyway in drafts last year, but he was the one who just absolutely smashed. And so he has this insane win rate, right? Last year, we let Travis Kelsey fall to the second round in drafts. Travis Kelsey's, you basically had to have Travis. He was the, the league winner, right? Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook was a league winner, but then Alvin Kamara, who didn't have quite as good of a year as, as Dalvin Cook, was the like best ball tournament winner. And how people drafted last year, it had to be a you had to have a, a certain small subset of players. And so you can see in some of those examples how like really, really specific, like super high variance things that happen during the course of an NFL season drive that data because it's from that one small sample, right? Up now 17 weeks, but or now 17 games, but previously 16 games, only 16 games is an NFL season, right? If you're a baseball statistician, you're, you're laughing your ass off at driving all of our decision-making based off data of 16 games and 16 games in an injury riddled sport. Even further last season, right? We had COVID, there was no preseason, there was shortened camp, all these factors, right? There's, but there's all these different factors. That's just specific examples from last year, but this that's every single season. And so this specific environment from one specific season is so unique and so rare, but we drive using too much historical data to drive decisions from past seasons can, can really get us into trouble because it's like a fluke injury happens, right? Saquon blows out his knee. Christian McCaffrey goes down early. Those events drive win rates and drive this data to a huge degree, right? Alvin Kamara scores six touchdowns in the championship week, championship week of best ball tournaments. Yeah, you need him. <laughs> He's the winner. And so sometimes we get a little bit too much of this need, this thirst, this thirst for like a, a data point to back why we're doing things. And the sample size is just not there for it to be too much of a driving point into our decision making.
it's just not there, right? If it would be, it's not the exact same thing, but it would be like, even call it a month of a baseball season. The best players on the planet can have slumps for a month. Mike Trout can have a bad month, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't draft him in fantasy baseball. It doesn't mean he's not, you know, a league winner. It's just that small of a sample on top of all the natural variants in an NFL season. And so overvaluing it, right? I'm not saying not valuing it, but overvaluing data from a small sample size that could have tons of variants in it can sometimes lead us astray when we think, right? There's data that backs this up. This is what is going to help me win, but it might actually be leading us astray. Specifically now, going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, best ball is still so new, right? Best ball has been around for a little while, like going back to like MFL 10s and, and, you know, 12 man leagues, best ball. It's not a totally new format, but like specific to the environment that we're living in right now, brand new, never happened before. We never had multiple million dollar contests. We never had a $5 contest in best ball that would come out the first week of July and would be filled in a week or two. We never had pre NFL draft contests. We never had rookies and sophomores like an underdog. We just never had any of this before. So we're having new contests that haven't existed before and we're using past data that's not that that's there's really only been like what one of these contests that we have the data for underdogs i think it was still called best ball mania last year even then it's like five times smaller than best ball mania 2 this year it's just like it's like comparing if you're a dfs player it's like comparing the wildcat to the millie maker if you play on DraftKings. And it's just a significantly different contest. On top of that, even setting aside the fact that we have that little bit of last year, last year's data, like I said, these contests are so new, right? It's like the beginning of DFS. These contests are so new and they're very unique, right? You need to win your league, you know, or get top two in your league, your 12 man league. That's a contest in and of itself. Then you advance the playoffs and to use the, you know, uh, again, quoting Le- Leone, it's you know, three uncorrelated tournaments, basically like four uncorrelated tournaments, all of different size fields. And then in the final, you know, that, that final week, that final tournament is when the, is when the money happens. It's such a unique contest. We don't have real data on this contest. Even the data that we have, we're looking at, you know, like a win rate of your 12 man league or even like top 1% teams or top 0.1% teams or teams that made the five, you know, we're just looking at subsets of this data that isn't a perfect indicator of how we should be constructing teams. And that's because it's a, it's a specific style of contest that we just haven't really had before. And I don't even think we figured out, I don't, I'm not even saying I have the answer. We haven't figured out how to retroactively look back and find, like, tell me what the most plus EV way to build a team was last year. It's not just the teams that finished 
you know, in the top 1%. It's not just the teams that won their league. You could make a case that some teams that won their league were not even necessarily plus EV teams, right? You just happen to land on the, the right combination of a few guys, but you actually poorly constructed your team. You know, you just happen to sneak into that top whatever percentage, a top percentile, but your team actually wasn't great. That happens in, again, using DFS analogy, that happens in DFS all the time. Teams that are poorly constructed can still do well. But if you just look at like, oh, that's the team that did well in DFS and you drew, drew an example from that, or you drew an example from this team won a tournament in a, a DFS tournament. So, oh, look what they did. I need to do that. And that's not, that's not always true. A lot of the times it might actually be totally opposite. And so that's where the, if you're watching on YouTube, directionally right sometimes, it's not always directionally right. Stuff that has won in the past or been successful in the past may not even be the most advantageous way for us to attack the current contest. And so what we really should be doing is trying to use the data that focuses on how our opponents are attacking this contest because it's not the same as, as DFS in that you know almost every player that's draft relevant is, is owned in every league. <clears throat> But it's still a human, it's a peer-to-peer -peer contest. It's a human contest against, you know, 150,000 other humans or 150,000 other teams entered by humans. And so the way to use the data to your advantage is by focusing on what your opponents are doing and kind of finding the leverage spots in how that they are constructing teams. Last year, what the ETR guys did really well was this hyper-fragile approach. They used some data to back up this draft strategy, right? One of the 10 million new draft strategies that we have, but they found a draft strategy that made sense, but it was because the market was not valuing it appropriately, right? Doing this hyper-fragile approach, hammering running backs early, hammering running backs early when, the, when the, the field was still drafting running backs early, but they were just continuing to draft running backs all throughout their draft, right? I don't have the data in front of me, but far more teams were drafting six, seven running backs, eight running backs, because that was just like, we didn't, like, we didn't know better. This game is still so new. We didn't know better. So they found a gap in the market in terms of how our opponents were constructing teams and, you know, taking a stable of running backs early and then hammering the other positions to use the phrase that I overuse, gain points on your opponents. They were leveraging data based on what their opponents were doing. And that is where the real power comes in. Using data to look forward and using data to focus on what our opponents are doing. Not just, oh, this is what won last year. Or this had a high win rate last year. Or this type of player had a high win rate last year. If, you know, all the first round running, if all the top running backs stay healthy this year, 
it's going to be a very different, you know, uh, set of win rate data next year than it was last year. If Travis Kelsey gets hurt, right? If Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and George Kittle get hurt, guess what's not going to win? <laughs> guess what's going to have you know zero percent win rates almost early tight end. But if those guys all stay healthy and they smash again, much higher win rates, right? If they stay healthy, if Travis Kelsey stays healthy, does what he did last year, and we get some early running back injuries, right? Dalvin goes down and Zeke goes down and Derrick Henry go down and Travis Kelsey smashes, the win rates of these late round running backs are going to go up. And so, and, and, and Kelsey's kind of correlated with that. And so, but like, who knows if that's going to happen? We can't predict that. And so looking, looking at what our opponents are doing and kind of finding the gaps, we've, we're smart enough now to understand general like draft strategy in, you know, if, at least if you're in these best ball streets pretty deep and reading content and kind of thoughtfully constructing teams, there's a million different ways to do it, but you can build, you know, smart teams with smart strategies, but we have to apply it. It, that it's you the the that historical data is borderline useless if we don't apply it to what kind of the draft market is doing right now. And I, so I wrote a piece yesterday, kind of outlining basically that. And I won't go into the full details. You can read it on Rotor Grinders. It talks about the running back thirst. That's what I'm that's what I'm coining it because the running back thirst this year is strong, and it has to do with everyone using this historical data everyone is looking at last year and saying hmm that worked give me alvin kamara and clyde edwards alaire and deandre swift and now let me load up on wide receivers but when all our opponents are doing the same thing in a peer-to-peer -peer game in a in a game against other humans Right? It's not a solved game. It can't be a solved game because other we're playing against other people. And so there's always an edge in leveraging what the other people are doing to give yourself you know, the cleanest path. Another thing I talk about in DFS all the time, trying to find the cleanest path to first place. The cleanest path is always based on what my opponents are doing. And so that's what I kind of outlined in this piece yesterday that there's this running back thirst based on this historical data and people are using that historical data to draft, you know, these strategies, right? The strategy that worked last year or the type of player that worked last year. And they're not necessarily, plenty of people are, there's a lot of smart people in this space now, but not enough people are taking that data, which is probably directionally right. The thesis behind like hyper fragile or the thesis behind modified zero RB, the thesis behind zero RB, the thesis behind all these strategies are directionally right. They're strong, but you have to apply them to the, the current player pool and what our opponents are doing within this current draft market. And if you don't apply it, you might be using a draft strategy that you read in art, you, know, you Googled best ball draft strategies and you read a strategy that actually is a good one but you might be making suboptimal teams. You might be making minus EV teams, even though you're employing 
a strong strategy. And so that's like the one thing it's even taken me a lot of drafts to kind of figure this out. I'm like 150 plus drafts in across a couple of the different sites and different contests, whatever. And I look back at some of my early teams and I hate them. I don't think I was drafting well, but it just, you have to do it. The only way to learn is by doing. You can read as many articles as you want to, and you're not going to, not going to figure it out, you know, perfectly without drafting. And so it took me a lot of time, took me a lot of drafts to start to kind of figure out how do we, you know, leverage this good data and directionally accurate data and smart strategies, but how do we apply it to this year's draft pool and this year's opponents and what our, and what our opponents are doing. And so if you want a summary of kind of my thoughts on that, you can go, like I said, go to Roto Grinders, go to the, the NFL section and there's a running back thirst. How do we take advantage of the running back thirst this year? And I'm sure I'll talk more about it. And I'm, sh- I'm sure I will be uh, talking about it when I'm streaming drafts and any other content that I'm doing. I'll be talking about some more of the micro cons, you know, the micro strategies and the micro concepts revolving around this. But I just thought it was important to kind of go over why some of this is true and remind it's a good reminder for me too. You see so many smart people with lots of really interesting, you know, data nuggets, but make sure we have to make sure not to overvalue them or, and even if we're valuing them, we have to make sure that we're applying them to this year and to this year's opponents and to the draft that you're in, right? That's kind of the final point is it needs to be applied to the draft, that specific draft, right? I sign up for a fast draft and everybody's going zero RB, right? I've, I've, I've decided that my draft approach, you know, even based on this year, I've done everything I just said. I looked at kind of the historical data. I've assessed the market. I've looked at my opponents and I see how I think I should be attacking these drafts overall from a macro view. But if I dive into a draft and everyone is doing that thing, right? I think anchor RB is the way to go. Or I think zero RB is the way to go. Robust, whatever. I think that thing is in general the best draft strategy. If it doesn't fit my that draft room that I'm in at that exact moment, that one 12 team league, if it doesn't fit what the you know, if Patrick Mahomes goes in the seventh round, take Patrick Mahomes in the seventh round. I don't think he's a good pick in the third, but like you have to adjust to your draft. If if all of the first two rounds are running backs, you know, that you need to adjust. If oh crap, Tyreek and Diggs and Nuke and Devontae all go in the first round. Zero RB is not going to work quite as well because now you have better running backs available to you in this particular team. You just always have to apply it to your opponents and your opponents across the 150,000 person contest and your opponents across that 12 team league. So, like I said, go check out that, that piece on Rudder Grinders. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday, we'll continue the million dollar live draft, live streams, 2 p.m. Eastern. You can check it uh, here on YouTube if you're listening on YouTube. It will be posted on the uh, Roto-Grinders Daily Fantasy Football podcast feed. And you can watch it also live on Twitter, bringing on a special guest. I'll be announcing the special guest later. And moving forward, we'll be having, uh, I'll be bringing folks in to draft with me. So you don't just have to hear me babble about all the shit that doesn't matter. 
and you can have a little bit more fun. But for that, I'm Eric Bynfor. We're done. We're out of here.